This is Ibadi and X, and welcome to a new season of The Candid Frame. Well, it's 2013, and this year marks the sixth year for, for the show, which is no, no small accomplishment. I know there are a lot of podcasts that started around the same time that I did that are no longer around, and being a independently produced podcast and to be around for as long as that is is something that I'm very, very proud of. And a lot of that has to do with support of people like you who've been listening to the show either from the very beginning or just, just recently. And your support, your kind words via email and your evaluations on iTunes and, and other sites has been greatly beneficial and important to the growth of this show. So, so thank you very much. And to start off this year, we're going to be interviewing a good friend of the show, David Dushman, who I've interviewed previously. Many of you know David already because of the great work that he does, both as a photographer and an educator and a publisher through his uh, series of books that he publishes through Craft and, and Vision. He's a, he's a wonderful photographer. He's a great speaker on, on the various themes and ideas that revolve around photography, not just how to use your camera and make a better picture, but how to really make a difference with your photographs, either to serve your own creative desires or to help serve others with your camera. So I'm more than pleased to start off 2013 with my conversation with David Dushman. This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by Adobe Lightroom 4. Perfect your photography from shoot to finish with Adobe Photoshop Lightroom 4 software. 2013 is the harbinger of a lot of good things, a lot of new beginnings, especially when it comes to your photography. And if you haven't had the chance of discovering how Lightroom 4 can make all the difference in your photography right now is the perfect opportunity to do so. You can download the full version of Lightroom 4. There's a link on the website to do just that. And you can discover how you can better organize your images, how you can bring out the quality of those digital files and share them either online or in a book form. 2013 should be the year that you take your photography to the next level and Adobe Lightroom 4 will take you there. Try it out today and discover how Adobe Lightroom 4 can make all the difference in your photography. David, welcome back to The Candid Frame. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a while since I talked to you. It has been. It's been a couple of years, I think. It, it, you know, before we get started in, in, in the different things, I just wanted to know, how, how are you doing? Because you had that, that pretty bad accident about a year and a half ago. And, yeah. Um, so how, how have you been recovering since then? Are you fully recovered or...? Yeah, thanks for asking. No, I um, it was an hour, uh, sorry, a, a year and a half, and um, I'm adjusting to a new normal. You know, things are um, they. I don't think I will ever recover. You know, to the point that I was at. I I did a pretty good job on um, my left ankle is uh, is good. Uh, my right ankle is uh, is pretty bad. Um, you know, most days I I have a bit of a limp and and I'm. I'm uncomfortable, but um, you know, for those that don't know, I fell off a, a pretty uh, pretty big wall in Italy and uh, shattered both my feet and cracked my pelvis. And um, it, you know what? It was uh, it was a long has been a long kind of recovery, but it hasn't stopped me. You know, it hasn't uh, it slowed me down a little, especially kind of in daily life. But I've been traveling and just got back from Antarctica, and so it's. Uh, I don't know. It's I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it's a little frustrating. I have those days where I kind of I wish I could go faster. I wish I could you know not hobble around. I feel especially in the first thing in the morning when my ankles are stiff. I feel like you know lurch and I'm kind of I'm kind of lurching around the room. And but uh, it's been it's I think slowing down has been a very good process for me for someone who's kind of uh, firing on on all cylinders all the time to have slowed down over the last year and a half. I think has has not just been good for me personally, but for my photography as well. So, yeah, again, thanks for asking. I'm doing good. Yeah, I, I'm curious to ask you a couple of things about that because you, you've talked a lot about, you know, creativity and and facing challenges and facing fear and working from limitations. And I think mm. a lot of that's very anal analogous to recovering from such a severe sort of injury. And I, I'm wondering what kind of perspective it gives you about creativity, especially, you know, when I was reading about your time in rehab and mm. you talked about, you know, the fact that, you know, you're in a space uh, with a bunch of other people who have either less or more severe injuries than you. 
Um, it's not a competition. You're all trying to sort of recover and reach a sort of similar goals. Uh, but nevertheless, you have to face a lot of, you know, the challenges are physical and, and, and mental to some degree. And I think when people think about creativity, it seems to be more sort of esoteric thoughts about working through limitations, working through discomfort. Mm. And I'm curious, you know, how that experience of, of trying to rebuild your body literally has helped you in terms of the perspective that you bring to creativity. You know, that's, that's a great question. We could, we could probably talk about that all morning. It has been very eye-opening, and it really has actually become sort of a metaphor for me. When when I was in rehab and beside these people who, most of them, I, I was one of a very few that actually had all his body parts, uh, and my recovery was not learning to uh, to use a prosthetic or, or, or something. It, w- it was just simply learning to walk again with the you know, the parts I still have left over. But um, to be walking side by side people in this gym who were at various points and were all sort of cheering each other on and keeping the sense of humor, um, it, it brought to uh, it brought to mind a couple of things. One was the, the notion that, you know, creativity and, and creating art is not competitive. You know, art's not about winning. And I actually have had a, an increasingly dim view of competitions and, and contests and that sort of thing because I just really don't think art is about winning. I don't think you can say this photographer is a better photographer than another or better artist because I, I don't think it's, I don't think we gauge art relative to some other piece or some other body of work or some other photographer. I think it's, it's judged on its own merits. And, and that was one of the things that was really interesting to me was you can be beside a person walking at a very different pace. In some cases, you know, these guys with two prosthetic legs, I mean, they don't even have legs and they're walking faster than me. <laughs> and, and it's not a contest. It's, it's cheering each other on. And, uh, and yet, you know, you're so in many ways, so far behind, but there's just in that context, there's no frame of reference for competition. And yet when we're making photographs and looking, especially, you know, those of us who spend any time online looking at someone else's work, you know, you spend five minutes and you've already decided, I hate that guy. Um, because we just, we wish we could be there. And there's something in some sense healthy about looking at another person's work and allowing it to kind of call you forward into new areas or, or excellence. But there's something I think profoundly unhealthy when we allow it to sort of define our work or define our direction or even sort of define whether we're doing good work or not. And so I think in some ways that was really helpful. But the, probably the biggest thing was the re-realization that art and creative endeavors are about risk. And any time that you fall down, and I mean that physically or metaphorically, anytime you fail and you get up and dust yourself off, you, I think at least if you're even a little introspective, uh, you look at that and go, you know what? I survived. I, 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 I did it. I fell down. I thought I wasn't going to make it. When I was falling off that wall, it, it, you know, it doesn't take long to hit the ground when you're fall, only falling 30 feet. But I remember very distinctly thinking, I am not going to make it out of this one. And yet, when you do make it out and, you know, months later, you, you know, I walked out of, I went into rehab with a wheelchair and I walked out and promptly got on a plane and went to Southeast Asia and, you know, hobbled around with my camera uh, to have gone through that and going, you know what, if I can make it through this, I bet I can make it through anything or, you know, whatever that thing you're most scared of. Art is always about fear. It's always about risk. And I think if, if we can take greater risks, knowing that, you know what, I survived that last thing. I bet I'll survive this. I think the more risks we take and the more times we fall down and recover, I don't think you get fearless. I think you become better at listening to the voice of fear and then kind of going, you know what, I, I've, I've heard your complaints and now I'm going to do my own thing. I don't think we can live fearlessly. I don't, I think this mantra of no fear is, is a bunch of baloney. I think we need to, as artists, we need to listen to our fear and then kind of go, you know what, thanks, thanks for your input. Uh, but I'm going to go in a different direction on this one because I know I can survive. I know that I can make it through. And, you know, both physically and metaphorically, I've, you know, I've, I've had a number of failures and, and I think we all do, but if we can dust ourselves off and go, I can survive this one. It's uh, it, it's incredibly liberating, and I think it shows up in our creativity and our art. Is there a specific example that you can cite that you ended up making a different decision than you would have before the accident as a result of that experience? 
I, I don't know that there's a specific example, but when I look at, you know, some of my, not just that, you know, falling down and, and off, literally off the wall, but, you know, things like, you know, uh, seven years ago, I went through a bankruptcy and those kind of, those kind of failures, when you feel like you've failed and yet recovered, I think then when you look at other decisions, like, like for example, business decisions, when you think, oh man, I'd really love to, but it's when that but comes up that I think you need to sort of go, you know, is that, is that really a legitimate reason? I think fear, especially uh, the small things in life, is where it really pulls us back. If it's not the big, huge things, it's those little tiny decisions to just, for example, even things like procrastination, you know, just, just do it. Just if someone said to me recently, if the, the worst thing you have to do it all day is kiss a frog, then when you wake up in the morning, just kiss the damn frog and get on with your day mm-hmm. and, and not allowing the fear of, for example, I mean, with artists, a lot of that fear is rejection. Well, what if I, what if I put up my stuff and nobody likes it? What if I put in a book proposal and it doesn't get received? Well, you know what? If it doesn't get received, that's okay. You will get valuable feedback and probably come out eventually with a better book. Or if you put your work in front of someone that you respect and they don't like it, but they give you some fantastic feedback, then you will become a better photographer. And I think becoming a better photographer should be or you know creative or artist uh, should be that should be a more important goal to us than making a great photograph because if you can become a stronger deeper more honest photographer or artist you will eventually create better work but if your goal is just for you know to get a certain amount of facebook likes on one photograph instead of honest feedback i think then that hampers you and getting in the way of that will always be some sort of fear and i think generally fear of rejection so i I know i have not quite answered your question but only because i can't think of a specific example it's more like a change in sort of a systemic change in the way that I approach life and and fear, specifically fear of rejection and fear of the, that what if. Oh, what if I what if I creativity is I think always about what if. It's in the positive sense, you know. Hey, what if I did this? And what about if I did that? That's where sort of those new ideas and the new directions come from. But there's also that equal and opposite force. Yeah, but what if? people don't like it. What if people just, you know, call you a hack? What if this work doesn't resonate? Yeah. You, you wrote a great post on fear. And one of the lines that you wrote that really stood out for me was this idea that says, uh, fear is a poor motivator, but it strikes me odd that it never drives us forward with the same vigor with which it holds us back. I reread that several times and I thought it was just very poignant. And and thinking about it, you know, realize that sometimes that fear is directly related to feeling safe. And somehow that feels more real than the potential gains that we can make from facing fear. Because sometimes the outcome is sort of unpredictable. It's like we can, you know, create work, we can put it out there. And what we end up getting when we take those risks is always, not not always, but a lot of the times very surprising and very gratifying. But it seems like that feeling of safety feels more palpable. And, and as a result, we don't take those risks. Is it, is it the fact that, you, you know, you do take the risk and you get the satisfaction of repeatedly getting those, those, those gains and, you know, the, the feeling of achievement that really sort of results in you doing it, you know, taking those risks over and over again? Yeah, I think, I think that's definitely part of it. I, I think there, there is, there's a sense in which I, I think when you, when you realize that safety is purely an illusion, that nothing is safe, that life is, and I, you know, I, I jump on this soapbox so often, I'm sure people are sick of it, but life is just, life is just so short. I think even if you live the longest life, if you live to a hundred years old, you will look back and feel like it was a one hundredth of a second, that it just went by in the blink of an eye. And I think if we, understanding that understanding that that risk kind of goes both ways yes you can you can say well you know i I don't want to take the risk of traveling to africa because it's scary and i might die in a car crash there well yes that that is one risk but what about the risk of living your life never having gone to that place you long to go what about the risk of having lived safely and not allowing these 
opportunities in life to change the person we are and to change the kind of work that we create, the kind of relationships that we have. Risk goes, I think, both ways. And so when for here's an example, photographically speaking, someone someone will say, you know, I, I'm really scared to photograph people. How do you get over that? And, and I say to them, well, you don't, um, or at least I haven't. I'm still very nervous when I approach people, especially for kind of portraiture on the streets. And um, However, that you can look at it two ways. You can look at it as, I'm really scared to approach this person. Or you can look at it, I'm really scared to go home without that photograph. And the, the question is, which which fear do you listen to and, and which has its proper place uh, and which doesn't? And so... Again, I'm not, I'm not sure that I've, I've completely answered the question, but I think when it's a little addictive when you fall and recover and dust yourself off and say, Hey, I made it through that one. And then you do it again and you do it again as tends to be my, my habit. I'm really good at learning the hard way. I'm really good at (laughs) falling down and you realize you're okay. It, I think it emboldens you to try something else. You know, I, I tell my students, we've started in these Vancouver gathering, weekend gatherings, because uh, it, frankly, it's a little easier for some people to, to come and join me in Vancouver for a weekend of learning than to, to fly to, to Africa to be with me for two weeks. Um, and, and we talk about some of these issues about fear in creativity. And one of the things I, I talk about is these, you know, the, the way that we have misunderstood Fear. I mean, I truly believe fear is the greatest obstacle in the creative process. And so I will start off and I will say, you know, just so everyone's very clear on this, you know, if, if you put your work out there and people don't like it, you will probably die. And then there's a long silence and people, be, you know, think, oh, my God, is he kidding? I, what's, how do I react to this? And then they realize, of course, you're not going to die just because some. But yet we respond emotionally at this deep primal level, this fear of rejection. If you can see it for the absurdity that it is, um, you're never going to make everyone happy. I mean, you, you know very well, you put out a book and it goes on Amazon and suddenly people feel like they are free to take pot shots at you. They're free to, you know, say the most wonderful things or say the most damning things. And, and you just, you can't have one without the other. And I think creatively speaking, you can look at that and go, hey, you know what? I'm still alive. You know, I, I dust yourself off and move on. You be in a place to create better work. Well, let's talk about that because I, I, for me, the last couple of years have been interesting to the point where I feel like I'm, I'm not interested in reading the reviews. I'm just the person, you know, you can have a hundred people in the room and the one person that doesn't like me, I'll fix it on them. You know, right. That's, and I'm realizing that I, I kind of do myself a disservice if I choose to go look for that stuff. It's, it's, it's better for me to just put the, the, the best work that I can out there and when it's done, move on to the next thing. Not a lot you can do once the book's published. You know, not yeah. a lot of changes you can make anyway, you right? Know, but you, you have a huge, huge audience, and I think that that whole issue ends up getting magnified as a result of the fact you have more people following you, more people buying your books, so on and so forth. So, you know, how do you sort of a- adapt to that? Because, you know, you are really engaged with your audience in a way that other, a lot of other photographers and educators aren't. It's a lot trickier to sort of disconnect yourself from that kind of you know, negative feedback or reaction to you. So how do you sort of contend with that? Well, I, I think it's, it's true. I think, and my personality type is just such that, you know, I'm, I'm, I think a relatively sensitive person. And so, you know, someone that I don't know who, you know, of course is 10 feet tall in his mother's basement when he's writing a nasty <laughs> Amazon review, you know, I, I can take it very personally. And when the attacks become personal, like one guy, you know, I, I don't know what I did. I mean, he was acting like I just killed his kitten or something. And he was, you know, he was saying, you know, he, well, at one point he called me fat, bald and ugly. And I'm like, that's not fair. I'm not that bald. <laughs> um, I think what you have to do is, well, for one, your, your perspective in terms of just not going to the reviews, I think is, is healthy. I do, I do still occasionally go because I think if you're going to take people's praise, you also need to be open to the reality of honest, helpful criticism. And sadly, it's not often present in, in Amazon reviews. So I, you know, I generally go and listen to other voices for criticism. But cutting yourself off in some sense from, from both, from the, the, 
positive, wow, your books are amazing, which is, I mean, it's always great to hear, but I think there's as much danger getting down from voices that try to tear you down than there is from getting a big inflated head from the voices that tell you that, you know, you're the greatest thing since, you know, Henri Cartier-Bresson. Those voices, I think when, when you think that, you know, oh, I'm a worm, I can't do anything, I'm a lousy photographer, to I'm the greatest photographer ever, I, either of those extremes I think is really harmful. You know, one is sort of a, a false humility and one's a um, sort of a, a misaligned pride. Both probably stand in the way of our creativity. And so I generally try to surround myself by voices that I feel are not just qualified because let's face it, I mean, you show your work to your mom, of course she's going to think it's the greatest photograph ever. You know, that's just what moms are for. They're not there to provide objective feedback they're there to nurture your you know your heart so i go to voices that i feel actually are not just kind compassionate voices by that i mean they're going to treat me kindly in terms of how they give me their most honest constructive feedback uh, because i don't think it's kind not to tell people the truth i don't think it's kind just to say oh that's you know well done way to go you know i think it's kind to say hey i see what you're trying to do here have you considered this approach have you considered this this may not be your strongest but i love the direction you're taking that kind of feedback i think is really helpful when it's from someone who knows the craft when it's from someone who creates work that you respect it doesn't have to even be a photographer you could go to a, another visual artist or a you know hell go to a singer songwriter someone that's artistic and say what do you think what you know and let them react in their most creative kind of from their most creative places because i think when you get that kind of feedback from people that are from different disciplines they give you something productive and you can move on that you can act on it when at the earlier part of our creative growth we're still just looking for that kind of our ego is screaming for validation i think we can find if that's what we're really looking for we can find that through like i said through our mom or you know our, our yeah. best friend or our partners but I, I think to grow we need to put that just like we need to put fear in its proper place we need to put our ego in in a proper place and say i i know you're screaming for validation right now i know you really want you know everyone to love this photograph but that's not going to get you to a place where you are making stronger photographs where you're expressing yourself stronger uh, placing the ego in it's in it's again not not pushing it away and ignoring it just like you don't ignore fear you listen to it you recognize that okay you know i hear what you want you know it's almost like talking to a five-year-old okay I, kn I know you want the cookie i hear you and uh, yet dinner is coming. And so how about you have the cookie after dinner? You know, you just, yeah. you, you put it in its proper place. You hear its voice and you move on. Now that, that metaphor may not work for everyone. I don't even have a five-year, I don't have kids. What do I know? <laughs> I'm imagining that if I did, that that would, you know, that would, because that's the approach that my mother took. So yeah. um, every voice in our life, you know, I, I did a blog post about listening to voices and um, not the creepy ones that need medication, but the, the voices in our life, some of them just as well intentioned as they are need to be put in their place even friends that kind of constantly cheering us on without without ever telling us the honest truth that like for example you know what david that that's i like that image but you, man you're just repeating yourself have you thought about doing this have you thought about doing this your work a year ago was stronger or those honest voices will take us so much farther than the ones that just feed you know, feed us with the things we want to hear. Yeah, you, you know, it's 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 about self-assessment, not only in terms of the work, but in terms of you know your your creative process. And you know, you write about a lot about process in your new book, The Print and the Process. But and I want you to talk about that. But to lead off into it, talk about the role of self-assessment in, in in the editing of your images, particularly because you, you mentioned the trap of falling into a rut where you're creating the same image over and over again. Over, you know, over the last year, a year and a half, can you take a look at the photographs that you've made and feel like you've made progress or that you've evolved into a different photographer just as a result of being able to critically look at your work the way you're creating them and, and be able to say ultimately, I may not necessarily be a better photographer, but that I'm moving towards being a different photographer, if that makes any sense? Yeah, it does. I, I think I think we can honestly say that we are becoming, our, you know, relative to ourselves, a better photographer. As long as as long as we have an understanding of what that means for us. For me, becoming a better photographer means that my work is more 
clearly, more succinctly, and more powerfully communicating my vision of the world, my reaction to the world, the things that, you know, the stories and the emotions that I want to portray. So I feel like if if those two are coming into alignment uh, more tightly, then truly I am becoming a better photographer. I just, I feel uncomfortable saying I'm, I am a better photographer than, you know, insert some other photographer here because we're really, truly competing with ourselves, I think, um, if we have to use the word competition at all. But I, th- I think in, in terms of your question, in terms of that self-assessment making me a stronger photographer, I think it has. I think where I fall into the trap, and I think a lot of creatives do, is that we, instead of looking at progress over a year or two years or 10 years, we look very locally. So we look at the last 20 photographs we shot and creativity has a rhythm. There's an up and a down. Everyone that I know, in fact, the more quote creative uh, or artistic that people are, it seems like the, the ups and the downs of that creative rhythm, the waves and the valleys seem to be more polarized. You know, the ups are higher. Not to say that we're all a bunch of, you know, uh, bipolar manic depressives or anything, but I think the joy of creation when you're getting it right is so elating, so exciting. And the disappointment in ourselves when we just can't quite find our stride and we're at the bottom of that valley, I think is, is equally, I mean, it, it's disappointing. It's, it, we're hard on ourselves. But I think if we can, if we we can assess ourselves instead of kind of on a micro level, like, oh, this picture's really good. And, oh, this picture really sucks. Oh, this one's really good. Oh, this one really sucks. If we can look at it from, uh, take a long view at it. You know, if you, if you look at uh, a line from, you know, across the room it, and it's, you know, seven feet long, it, it looks like a straight line. If you get really close, it may actually be a zigzag. You know, and, and if you get even closer, there's a lot of really high peaks and really high va- uh, low valleys. If you concentrate on those high peaks and those low valleys, it's really hard to assess yourself. I think you need to step far enough back to see the line, see where it started and see where it's ending. If you get so macro, you know, like so close up, I guess actually that would be getting micro. If you get really, really close up and you concentrate on up and down of that zigzag line, I think it stops you from seeing where you've come from. I think it stops you from seeing where you're going. And so, yes, you need to, I need to, at least for the way that I do things, I need to pull back and I need to say, okay, what does my work look like from two years ago and where is it going now? What are the common themes that I seem to be pursuing? Because, you know, I think we will always, in some cases, like writers, many writers sort of seem to go back to the same themes and really are telling many of the same stories and over the course of their lifetime, they're just simply getting better at telling those stories. They're finding new characters and, and new uh, plot lines, new ways of telling that same fundamental story. And I think for photographers, m- many of us are trying to say the same things. We're just finding better ways to do it. And I think if you, if you look long term, if you really pull back, you can see progress. If you could get really close up, it's much harder. And so I, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, yes, you want to be very aware of your process. You want to understand, but you need to extend uh, generosity and grace to yourself in the same ways that you extend it to other people. You need to be forgiving to yourself and allow that process means falling down you know, and picking yourself up. And that applies to your photographs. You just might have a really bad weekend. It doesn't mean you're a bad photographer. You may go shoot a wedding and completely bomb because of a million factors, some of them out of your control, some of them within your control, you may just have screwed up. That doesn't mean it's time to sell your gear. It means you need to step back. You need to assess, you know, okay, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? And, you know, give yourself another chance. Now, that's hard to say when you got paying clients, but the reality is there's just, you're never guaranteed that everything is always going to go well. You do your best job um, and not beat yourself off. You dust yourself off you, and you, you try it again. And now I'd like to take the time to thank our other sponsor, Squarespace. If you've been wanting to create a website to showcase your work, but have been intimidated about coding or the complexities of creating and maintaining a website, then Squarespace has the answer for you because Squarespace has this great product, Squarespace 6. It's a do-it-yourself website builder that helps you to make a website or a blog in just a few minutes. Squarespace handles all the hosting, gives you a free domain name, and has 24-hour customer support. 
everything on the platform is drag and drop. So it's incredibly easy to use. For example, you can drag pictures straight from your desktop and create custom layouts with multiple columns and text that wraps perfectly around your images and videos. The templates are clean and crisp. It puts the focus where it should be on your photography. Additionally, you can switch to a different template at any time. One more thing that's really special about Squarespace is that your images will look great on any device because the website you create will scale automatically to fit perfectly on an iPad, an iPhone, a computer, or any other device. Import content from your blogs and push your content right back out to your social networks. Go to squarespace.com forward slash candid frame to start a free trial. No credit card is required. When you're ready to purchase, click enter an offer code below the pricing at checkout and enter the offer code candid frame one to get a 10% discount. That's squarespace.com forward slash candid frame offer code candid frame one. One word, candid frame one. You've spoken a lot about, you know, vision in your, in your previous books and in, in reading sort of the blurb for this new one, you're emphasizing that this is slightly different in terms of, even though it involves the creation of the print, that you're really trying to discuss more about process. And you know, I, guess you, I guess it would be good to sort of definitely you know, try to define the difference between vision and process. But, but, you know, what are you trying to do with this book that you haven't done previously? Well, I think the previous to this, there've really been, well, previous to this, there've been four books, one of which dealt with business and kind of being, you know, being a photographer. The, the other three really were about either vision and your intent for the photograph or about uh, expression, how we express that vision in terms of the, the, the visual language of the photograph. This one has, this one's a, a much more personal book. So there are, um, first of all, I should say it has nothing to do with printing. This is not a book about printing. This is when I talk about the print, I'm talking about the final product, whether it is a print or whether it's a, um, you know, a series of images uh, on your online gallery. It's the final photograph. The process that I talk about is going from, okay, I want to do this and I want it to look like this. How do you get there? And in some cases, that's a technical issue. In some cases, that's uh, a much more personal issue. In some cases, it's just sort of identifying what your intent is and wrestling through it. And for most of us, this doesn't come easy. It certainly doesn't come easy for me. I don't go out and shoot 10 great photographs and come back and just, you know, stick them on the wall. I go out and shoot a thousand and then, and wrestle through it and mumble to my camera and, and say bad words and, and, you know, go, go have a cup of coffee and get frustrated and wonder about selling my gear. And, and it's all of that is part of my process. And if we can, again, instead of getting frustrated, instead of beating ourselves up, we just go, okay, I'm riding the wave here. I've had my up. Now I'm having my down. I'll have another up. Um, when you can, for example, in the book, I, I go through four very, very different and specific projects. One is a, a trip to Iceland. One is um, a project in Venice. Um, one is working for a client in northern Kenya. And one is a landscape project in Antarctica. And, and I go through, here's what I was trying to accomplish. Here's what I wanted out of not only this body of work, but this one individual image. And sometimes the solution was just changing my angle, uh, changing my lens, or it was a technical thing like, you know, I really need a longer exposure and I need a tripod and a neutral density on this. In, in some cases, like the Venice project, it was very personal. I was, I was in here, I was in the most, you know, romantic city in the world. Um, and I was, I was alone and I was going through a divorce. And, um, so not only alone, but, but lonely. And I think as, as artists, we need to, we need to be able to identify with our emotions, whether it's, you know, whether it's anger, whether it's longing, whether it's, you know, happiness, whatever we're feeling um, to identify with it and then allow it to affect our work. Or in some cases, you know, if you're working for a client, identify it and then put it somewhere where we can address it later and get it out of the way so that we can work. But I think for personal work, I think, for example, being in Venice and feeling lonely, how do you photograph this most most romantic city in the world mm -hmm. in such a way that it's, it reflects these honest emotions and feelings. Um, and, and so the, the print in the process is really all about how do I get from here to here? 
and and it's not a it's not a completely navel gazing introspective book about woe is me. It's I, I think it's a really hopeful book for photographers who just they wrestle with the process and and they want to be able to get an insight into someone else's process because I think at some point as much as we're all very different we all have commonalities we all wrestle with and engage with the creative process um, at certain common points and we may come out of that experience and create something very different than anyone else would but the point of engagement where we all have similar fears similar frustrations we're all using similar gear whether it says nikon canon or pentax on it we're using in okay that that was a bad example nobody uses pentax but um you know what i'm saying we we all have i mean at the end of the day we're all doing the same stuff at the end of the day painters all have brushes and paints and there are constraints that are very similar for all of us the human experience only extends so far to so many experiences we all wrestle with the same kind of longings and frustrations even if it's just a longing for a photograph that just doesn't suck um we all experience that and and so at, at a certain point you need to engage creatively you know introspectively and say here's what i want here's where i'm trying to get and maybe i need to stop beating myself up uh we also need to engage that technically and this is where the artist and the geek kind of have that you know hopefully that happy medium where technically we understand our craft and we understand where a technical solution will allow us to maybe stop beating ourselves up you know don't get so damn frustrated about your histogram yes you're going to blow your sky out because your camera just can't handle that dynamic range If, if you can get over that frustration and that i must be doing something wrong and just go no the camera has a limitation Put a split ND filter on there or put it on a tripod and take three exposures or whatever your solution. If you can if you can wrap your mind around some of these solutions, then I think you're freed up to be a little less frustrated and create work that feels less self-conscious. This creates a, a kind of a fork in the road from, from my perspective. And I see people go one of two routes. You know, the first one is they start, you know, evaluating their work and they start beginning a little more introspective in terms of their, their process. They realize that there may be some technical challenges, but they look at it in terms of finding a solution or making a different choice so they can sort of further their vision as photographers. And then the other path is a, a preoccupation with, with the mechanics of the camera, with the software, with, you know, investment in more and more equipment. Well, all of a sudden, whatever sort of creative outlet uh, they may have hoped for ends up getting bogged down and diluted by this preoccupation with all this stuff that has very little to do with creativity other than sort of being focusing on the tools of creativity. Sure. So, you know, when, when people get to that point, how do you know, how do they ensure that they're, you know, that they're progressing creatively rather than getting bogged down in, into this other stuff that really ends up maybe making you technically proficient, but doesn't make what you're creating significant or, or, or valuable? Yeah, I think, I think at a certain point, we all need to step back and say, why are we even doing this? Um, there are people that have, in, have, picked up cameras uh, because they like the technical and they they want to hear the sound of the shutter and they want to solve a you know a mathematical problem in terms of you know well if i if i move the shutter down three stops and i open the aperture this and i you know i mean for some of them i think it's a very it, they engage technically they don't actually want to pursue this in a sort of aesthetic way they want to get it right they want to have a perfectly exposed perfectly focused photograph uh, and that's enough for them and i think that's okay i but i think if you want more you will be become frustrated uh, by kind of camping out on the i need to make a perfect photograph so i i guess in, in answer to your question just understanding why why you even do this in the first place will be very helpful if there's any sort of uh, if in writing your answer to that question, why am I doing this photography thing? If you're writing things like I want to express myself, I, uh, you know, if there are words like beauty and expression uh, in there, if you want to sh- sort of show the world what you see or even kind of clarify for yourself the way you see the world, things like that. If you're writing answers to that question that are sort of divorced, if you're not mentioning the camera and the lens and I want to play with, you know, big, long, uh, you know, white Canon 600 millimeter lenses then i think just giving yourself permission to leave the cameras 
kind of to do their thing and go out and concentrate on things like visual language and composition and studying light and and studying photographs you know this is one of the things that that i the reasons i, I one of the reasons i did the print and the process i if you pick up the book and flip through it um the photographs play really large they're they're big uh, beautiful. Uh, they're not just presented as little illustrations. They're not cropped funny. You know, there's not seven to a page. They, they're just presented large because I think one of the best things, the best thing that we can do as we learn to be better photographers is study photographs. It strikes me as really ironic that we spend so much time. This is photography. It's not, you know, cameraology. We spend so much time studying our cameras. We spend so much time memorizing the B&H catalog or, you know, going on to Adorama's website and, and seeing what's out there and, and how many megapixels this it's just so irrelevant i mean at a certain point yes it's important technically but but if what you want is to create if what you want is the aesthetics of a a photograph to say something then i think we need to study photographs and we need to look at the photographs and say what is the what are the lines doing what is the light doing Um, look at the way the photographer captured this moment instead of a moment a few seconds later which would have dramatically changed not only the composition but the message of the photograph so I think just being aware that your longing is for the creative and the aesthetic, not for the technical, um, will and being aware that the technical will only take you so far. Yes, it, it will take you far. I mean, gear is still good. Technique is still important and craft is very important, but it's just the foundation of what you do. Once you've learned to re- once you've learned to write, you, you don't sit there and get obsessed with the word processor or the pen that you're using. You get obsessed with the story. Once you've learned to use your camera, put the gear stuff aside, use what you've got, and become obsessed with the photograph, not with the means of its creation. Just giving yourself permission to think that way, just giving yourself the understanding, uh, understanding is the wrong word, putting yourself in a place where you can just kind of relax into it doesn't matter what camera I have. No one actually cares. If you go on the forums and people are signing their names at the bottom with, you know, the gear that they have and, you know, which L lenses they have. If you want to impress me, I I honestly just don't care what camera you made it with. In fact, if you want to impress me, show me an amazing photograph you shot with, with, you know, your old Pentax K1000 on, you know, T-Max film. If you want to impress me, show me something beautiful that moves me. If after looking at that, I say, wow, that's beautiful. What camera did you shoot that with? Clearly, I was not that moved because (laughs) the first thing I'm thinking of is how can I do that and what camera? Not, wow, that's just, that's beautiful. And I, I think the two are will always. Here's here's me coming back uh, uneasily to to uh, answer your question. The two will always exist in an uneasy tension, and and so I've talked many times about that that place where the artist and the geek maybe they don't quite get along, but they recognize each other's rules and they move forward collaboratively to create something beautiful. If you give too much attention to the geek, uh, you run the risk of not expressing yourself or, or even, frankly, knowing what you want to express. If you pay too much ex- uh, attention to the artist, uh, you run the risk of not having the tools to more fully express your vision. And so for me, again, I have this habit of going way the wrong way around. Or This is what the print in the process was about. This was about how does the artist in me dialogue with or exist in tension with uh, the geek? Because you need to be able to express yourself. That's why the cameras are important. If, if the photographer says, well, the camera doesn't matter. You know what? The camera doesn't matter. Pick up a pen and a sketch pad and start drawing. Because at a certain point, if you're making photographs, you need some kind of, you need a box with a hole and you need some film or a sensor. You, the technology is important. But to what end? To what, why, what does that you know, that gear serve. And if we can put each kind of of those voices in their uh, proper place and allow them just to both say the things that they need to say, I think then we, you know, uh, we can be in a place where we can uh, both 
give the importance to our vision and the tools of expression and they work together and we come up with something you know something beautiful or something resonant or something you know that that more accurately portrays what we're trying to portray well as if you weren't busy enough uh, with all the things that you're doing you also uh, started releasing uh, a magazine under the craft and vision brand called photographs so tell us about this magazine and why did you decide to um, produce this along with all the other stuff that you're doing well I kind of felt like it, I, actually I was uh, I was in Mongolia at the time and I had these long long days of you know bouncing around the, the desert in a 4 by 4 before we got to where we were going and, and I, for some something someone said something or I, I said something and about, a, about magazines and I started to realize you know it's been a long time since I've even picked up an issue of a magazine a photo, photography magazine because they're so expensive they're so filled with ads and then I started to sort of it just I don't know for whatever reason it got me off thinking about stuff and I thought you know if I could do a, a magazine the way I wanted to it would be filled with really large photographs because again going back to my idea the thought that to best learn photography you have to study photographs the best way to do that is to look at big beautiful photographs that don't have you know text overlays and and big headlines written across them just to look at big beautiful photographs from from a variety of sources people that photograph landscapes people that photograph fine art that photograph commercially to take a, a, a cross-section of photographs and, and learn from them. What is the light? Um, the light, the lines, and the moment is sort of my the paradigm I use for looking at photographs. And so I thought, you know, it would be that combined with some some articles that were, for example, about composition and and about uh, light and and all of these things that have and yes, even you know even gear, um, but it would be ad free and it would be digital only. And I just I was kind of making this sort of this you know mental what how would I do it? And then I thought you know. Um, I do own a publishing company, as it turns out. Maybe I should, you know, and of course, even that was sort of accidental. But uh, I came back really jazzed about this idea of creating photograph. And uh, and we we sort of did some mock-ups and I approached some photographers and said, hey, w- would you be interested in being a part of this? And so now our, our, we're working on our second issue. It's a quarterly magazine. It's, it's big. Um, I mean, you've downloaded it. I think it was something like 80 megabytes. So it's not small, but a the trade-off is, of course, the photographs are really big. They're really beautiful. And we've got some really great photographers that are writing for us, that are submitting their work. John Paul Capenegro does a, um, a a column on creative composition. And, and there's articles for sort of for people at every point in their development as photographers and there's you know there's a there's a column um about gear and it's it's really it's not about you know hey the new latest nikon's out you can read about that elsewhere it's about the things that we all use day to day you know hey this camera bag's just come out and this tripod or whatever um john paul capanegro's article a column on uh, creative composition you know it's not for everyone it's for people that have got to a certain place where they're willing to ask questions and and not just be given advice in terms of hey you need to study the rule of thirds um jp's articles actually raise more questions than uh, than they answer and so you go away reading it and you start with i'm not sure i understood that to hey i wonder if you meant that and to to really processing it yourself um so it's just it's a big i think it's about a hundred the first issue is about 130 or 140 kind of long horizontal spreads it's designed to be read on the ipad or on your laptop anyway we we created it and uh the response has been really really great we had in our first issue we had some really with three very talented photographers art wolf who many people know uh bruce percy who's a close friend of mine uh from scotland and he does just unbelievable landscapes so he submitted a um an iceland portfolio and then a photographer almost no one that i know has ever heard of a really lovely guy from uh, maine called nate parker who does these really beautiful kind of michael kenna-esque uh black and white landscapes of the east coast and um it's just the reception has been really, really gratifying. You know, I mean, you know, know quite well, we've been talking about this. You create something that's really personal, that you really are invested in. You really do, despite everything I've just said, you really do still want people to like it. You still want people to resonate with it and and to have an experience with it that's positive rather than kind of go, oh, yeah, but yeah. Um, and so we put it out kind of with fear and trembling. And the response has been really, really great. It's been kind of overly enthusiastic in some cases. So we're committed to keeping it ad-free. We're committed to being 
kind of continued champions of the amateur. So we're, we're taking submissions from people and, and asking photographers who no one's ever heard of, would you let us show your work? And so each portfolio is about 20 images and it, they play nice and large. And then we follow it up with a question and answer uh, just to kind of give people an insight into um, individual photographers uh, into their own process and the way that they do their work. That's awesome. Well, my last question is to ask my guests to recommend or suggest another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it could be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Um, you know, that is a really good question. And I, um, I'm just pulling up my email because I actually don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. Uh, but he was recommended to me by, uh, John Paul Caponegro, who's, whose eye I really respect. He's, he's got his kind of his, his, uh, finger on the pulse of some, um, really creative and new and unheard photographers. And so this guy's name, and I'm going to have to spell it for you, but I believe it's probably pronounced Henke Conjuro. And, uh, I couldn't even guess at a nationality except to think he might be Japanese. Um, I'll spell it for you in a sec, but he's, he's got, um, some really amazing, amazing work, uh, black and white stuff. And he has a series that I think he just called Mist. Um, he's on 500 pixels, I believe. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to Google this guy. Uh, but we're going to profile his stuff in a future edition of, uh, photograph because it really is. I mean, I, I looked at it. I was just completely mesmerized. Anyway, I'll spell the name for you. It's H E N G K I. And then that's his first name. Last name is K O E N T J O R O. And you can rewind that on your podcast player and play it three or four times in order to spell it. Um, strongly suggest that you Google him. Look for him. I believe he's on 500 Pixels. Might even be on, on Flickr. But his work is really, really exceptional. And, um, and he's well worth looking at. Um, really evocative stuff. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that you look at and you just go, ah. Man, I wish I could do that. I just, it's really, and not in the, not in those sort of green eyes of envy kind of way. You know, that really just like it, it hits you on this level. You just go, God, that's beautiful. Um, so really highly recommend it. If you're, if you don't have the patience for, you know, looking up this, looking up Hanky, then, um, you know, just wait, uh, wait six or eight months for the next, you know, uh, two issues from now. I think we hopefully will profile him in photograph, which if anyone's interested, you can get at craftandvision.com. Well, but by the way, where can people find out about, uh, everything that you're doing with your own photography and, uh, and the publishing house? Well, uh, craftandvision.com is always a great place to start but we've recently redesigned my website to make it a little easier just to kind of find everything so you could just simply go to daviddusheman.com and um, from there there's you know there's links to everything to my my portfolios and and books and and that sort of thing and and latest ramblings about my travel and and that sort of thing well thank you so much david it's always nice to have a chance to talk to you and and best of luck with the coming year yeah thanks very much you too man The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And this is Ibadian X, and this is... The Candid Frame.